Hey, Sam. Hey, Teresa. What's up? Not much. I am back home in Chicago for exactly one week. Um, but it's been nice to see my family and uh, it's been really bad weather. So it's <laughs> just been inside for the past couple of days. But um, I love Chicago, so it's nice to be home. We literally just missed each other because I'm going back tomorrow to surprise um, my mom for her birthday mm-hmm. and no one in my family knows I'm going like literally no one so hopefully I don't get kidnapped by the uber um, because nobody will know <laughs> but anyways yeah we miss each other by one day and now I don't have anyone to drive me home <laughs> I'm sure your uber driver will be fine <laughs> please send prayers everybody um but today we are really excited for our episode because we will be interviewing liana keith over a glass of cranberry juice great let's get into it so today i chose cranberry juice because it is my favorite mixer um of all time better than orange juice I would take cranberry juice over orange juice any day um and also I feel like it's a juice that doesn't actually bother me because it's not that sweet and I feel like it's kind of tart um but the thing is I'm also a clumsy person so sometimes I'd be spilling my cranberry juice and it'd be staining my shirts Uh, cranberry juice is so funny because I feel like most drinks at least taste like their fruit to me, if you tried cranberry juice and then tried a cranberry, like while you could probably recognize that they were the same thing, like the amount of sugar that's in cranberry juice is just ridiculous. Because <laughs> an actual cranberry, it's like, oh my God, like what am I eating? Um, but yeah, yeah, I feel like cranberries taste like unripe berries, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like they're never ripe. I don't even know. I've never eaten raw cranberries, I think, like, only in, like, cooked sweets or whatever. I don't think I've ever, like, pulled up on someone just, like, (laughs) munching on cranberries. I feel like it's, like, a fruit that they really, the people, the humans really wanted to use. So they Mm -hmm. just, like, poured a shit ton of sugar with it, and then it's usable. Like, I don't think it was naturally supposed to be used. True. And it's, like, one of those fruits that everyone says is, like, healthy, but it's, like, the amount of sugar in anything with cranberries, like those dried cranberries, are like just sugar blasted cranberry juice is crazy. Yeah. But it's still a great drink, a lot of fun. Um, yeah, well, moving on to our interview for today. Um, I'm super excited to be interviewing Liana Keith, um, not only because I think she's super dope, but also my little sister is a flute player. Shout out Iris. Um, Iris plays flute all the time, every day, mostly at night. And it was really, really annoying when I was in high school, but she's actually a really good flute player. And also, um, I think she could be our next Lizzo. Let's go. <laughs> but Liana's probably more likely to be our next Lizzo. And specifically today, we'll be talking to Liana about her new album tarot which is an awesome album that is made up of improvised songs based on the drawing of tarot cards and to give a little background liana is a flutist artist improviser and composer from the seattle area and part of the thing about her music is she really uses the flute in interesting ways that don't sound 
traditional and you can definitely hear that on the new album she uses the flute in a lot of ways to create different rhythms and to do kind of some ambient droney stuff um and her work is just really interesting in the way that she uses a single instrument in um these unique ways yeah and with that should we call her up right now yeah let's call her up hello hello how are you I'm all right. 9.30 a.m. is early for me, but yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for waking up. We really appreciate it and we're excited. No <laughs> so first, can you just tell us kind of how did your journey with the flute begin? Sure. So um, I started with the flute in sixth grade, like a lot of kids do. Um, and when I first started, the teachers told me that I couldn't um, because my bottom lip is much smaller than my top lip and that's kind of the opposite of what you need typically to play the flute and so instead of saying oh you can work with that the teacher said you can't um and so i was given a clarinet and i hated it and i played it for like two months and then my dad bought himself a flute because he wanted to be jethro tall if you know who that is um and uh yeah i stole his flute <laughs> and i brought it to class and i said no i'm playing this instead um so i feel like a lot of my early beginnings with flute was entirely out of spite and i think that it just genuinely continued because of spite um luckily i ended up falling in love with the instrument but uh, a lot of my beginnings involved a lot of people telling me that i couldn't so i did well just also sort of saying you fell in love with the instrument so my little sister like she plays a flute very you know involved with the flu and I just like she knew she wanted to play it since she was like five so what about the flu like about the instrument like why do you love it so much or like the sound or what really attracts you to the flute as opposed to other instruments sure um I think initially it was because you know if you listen to an orchestral work the flute really sticks out it's this beautiful solo instrument it has a sound unlike any other um, and it can do all sorts of super virtuosic things and as i got older i think what i realized with the flute was that it was much more versatile than a lot of other instruments like i would not have been able to make the album that i just made if i decided that i was going to play the oboe um right like i i wanted to um, be able to play an instrument that could do, you know, pretty much any genre that I was interested in. And even though I think that, you know, the flute is typically associated with classical music and rightly so, um, it can be quite a genre bending and interesting instrument. It can really um, shift into many different forms. And so that's why I love it so much. Um, yeah, it doesn't put me as much in a box as some other instruments might do. Definitely. And I'm assuming that a lot of the earlier flute music that you were playing was um, more in the classical realm. Is that true? Absolutely. Yeah. So I have two degrees in classical music. Uh, first one for my undergrad and then the second one in master's program, both for uh, performance on flute and both of them orchestral focused. So um, I have two degrees to play the flute in an orchestra and I do not do that at all. <laughs> that was kind of my question. So how did you begin to see yourself transition out of this um, orchestral framework into more of the music that you make now? Sure. Um, so when I was in my undergrad, I had very 
wonderful teachers who were very interested in just letting me do whatever I was interested in, um, which was fantastic. I mean, a lot of schools don't really have the resources to make that happen. And my teachers were really incredibly supportive. Um, so when I started messing around outside of the classical vein, instead of saying, oh, well, flutes don't do that, they were like, oh, let's look more into that and see what you can do, um, which was pretty phenomenal. So, I mean, yes, I was doing all the classical things, um, but I started um, doing a private study with a Chinese bamboo flautist. Um, and so I started learning that tradition and I started doing improvisation with a bunch of fiddlers and as well as some jazzers. And so that started to become a large part of my um, practice. And then um, by the time I was finishing up my graduate schooling, I was still kind of pursuing that orchestral track. Um, and I was doing what we call the orchestral circuit, which is where you just take every audition that's listed in the United States and you just travel constantly and you play these things. And I realized that I was sitting in these rooms with like 30 other flutists, half of which have their doctorates already, you know, playing like a robot to try to be absolutely perfect with absolutely no sense of self for a job that pays maybe $15,000 a year. And I thought, you know, <laughs> this is maybe not the thing I want to do. And also, I'm kind of tired of playing music by dead white men. Um, and so I stopped. Uh, I, I had sort of a wake-up call in the middle of doing all these things and um, decided that I was just going to do what I wanted to do instead. <laughs> yeah, hearing that, that must have been like kind of like a scary moment where it's like, what have I been, I don't know maybe it's like what have I been working towards almost because I feel like that's expected for you so mm -hmm. I guess like what made you have the confidence to turn to experimental and improvisation and like did you have um like did you know that you had in a background or did you know that this was something that you could fully devote yourself to yeah great question um I think that I've been very lucky and that every time I've sort of pursued something somebody was always there to be like oh yeah you could do this you you could do this like um you know i've i've performed all over the world i've performed in argentina i've performed in the united states i've done conventions in canada and every time i've brought my music somewhere somebody was always just like yes this is something i've never heard before i love it can you do more of it um and so eventually I was kind of like, why am I wasting my time doing this other thing that everyone else is doing already? <laughs> um, when I have so much support um, behind what I'm doing, and especially I think a lot of it has to do with where I live. So I live in Seattle, Washington, and um, the experimental scene here is a very close knit group. It's not like the largest group. <laughs> um, and they're always just wildly supportive. Um, so whenever I put on concerts here, you know, the, the community shows up and it's a wonderful thing. Um, so yeah, I had a lot of um, support locally as well. Yeah. And I know in addition to um, the music that you create, you do a lot of teaching and do you see teaching and your creation of music as kind of going hand in hand or are they two very separate disciplines for you? Yeah, um, I think that they are 
some of one and some of the other, right? I think that uh, I learn so much from kids constantly, <laughs> just constantly. Kids are always far more interesting when it comes to experimentation than people would imagine. You know, if you stick a bunch of kids in a room with an instrument and go, okay, let's make the sound of a jungle, they will very, very quickly. Um, and it's always so fascinating. Um, so I love, I love my teaching. I really do. But I think a lot of um, my creative practice also means that I got to take time away from teaching and really just focus on the craft and making the art. Um, so I'm, I'm still working on that balance between the, the teaching time and the composing time. So. Um, and also like looking towards, um, you know, composing in that new album, can you tell us a little bit about like the process of improvisation and how much work went into like structuring tracks before? Because I, yeah, I feel like I could never <laughs> improvise. Um, it would totally sound just like BS. <laughs> like, can you <laughs> are you are you classically trained have you played an instrument yeah well I was a classically trained pianist um until like college and um yeah it was just like I feel like everyone's musical studies are so different like I didn't really learn theory but I was good at like um kind of like memorization and sight reading but I've always wanted to know learn about like jazz and like improvisation but I just feel like it's not something that comes like naturally to me, even though I've been playing for so many years. So like, yeah, yeah I'm also like really curious from a musician standpoint about that. Totally. Um, so if I can give you one bit of advice, it's that improvisation can't come naturally. It's, it's just like any other practice. You have to practice it in order to get good at it. When I first started improvising, I was terrible. Um, and I always like felt bad about that because I was like, I've been playing the flute for so long and I've had so much training and I should just be good at this. But it, I wasn't because I never, I was never taught improv and that's a thing that's really missing from education that's why my educational practice is so in tied with what i do um is because i teach my students to improvise and that's just something that is sort of a new concept within the music education world because yeah you, you just you can't improvise if you've never tried if you haven't practiced um and then we get very discouraged when we try and it's not that great and then we go eh, maybe it's not for me it's not that it's just you got to practice <laughs> Um, so yeah, so when it comes to the process, um, a lot of my composition is improv based and then let's put a, together a final form or maybe I'll write some notes based on what I've done or maybe I'll write some notes first and then I'll improvise on that. But either way, a lot of it just has to do with me just sitting down and going, all right, we're going to try to make something now. Um, for the tarot album in particular, that was an interesting process because I quite literally drew cards. So I would I, I would take my tarot deck and I would draw a card and go, OK, well, this is the card and this is what it's about. And let's see if I can improvise something on it. And half the time, utter trash. <laughs> like I just couldn't get anything that was related to the card in any way, shape or form. So the, tr the, the album has 10 tracks on it. I must have recorded like 30 tracks. <laughs> um, and the ones that I loved, I kept and I mixed and I really worked on to make something that I thought would be listenable. The other tracks, they're just sitting in my computer. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's it's this like visualization process and really trying to embody what I was seeing and and making that into sound. Um, 
usually my improv practice involves other people right like being in a room with others and like responding to what's in the room and and having this dialogue between musicians um and since covid hit that's just not been possible and so i had to get very comfortable with improvising without others which has been quite a process as well um so yeah that's basically how the, the the tarot album came to be was just drawing cards trying my best and seeing what came out of that yeah and i had a question kind of about that um how it is to improvise without other people especially because you do so much um like layering and different vocals on this new album um, so did you just kind of improvise the track and then layer improvised vocals over it? Cause it sounded like you, it were multiple takes that were going on. Kind of. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Great question. Um, so actually a lot of the stuff that I did was all in one shot, um, because I use a looper pedal. Um, so I would just layer, um, recordings in live time and then create something out of that. Um, there is a couple tracks on the album where I didn't do that, and I did actually record separate takes and then um, put them on top of each other, um, but a lot of the album is just using my foot pedals to sort of create the effects that you hear. So, yeah, think about guitar pedals, essentially. I just jerry-rig them to work on my flute. <laughs> no, that's super dope, and, like, I like when you improvise alone and when you, yeah, make these tracks alone do you feel like you have to be like in a certain headspace or are there certain times when you're like so frustrated like this isn't working like yeah what is that like the headspace um and the mentality going into it absolutely um I think that I have to be in a very particular like artists will call it like flow space right like it's this place where you know, ideas can come in and out freely and they just evolve and, you know, things go kind of the way that you want them to, or they go in a way that you don't expect, but it's great. <laughs> you know, like those are kind of the two veins that you want to be in. Um, and sometimes that just does not happen. Um, and especially, you know, in the past year, the times in which they don't happen happen more than not, because, you know, we're thinking about all of the other shit that's happening in the world. Um, and so it's, it's hard to keep your brain in in the right space i think one thing that helped and this is very silly but i recorded this entire album in my closet i i have this little walk-in closet that i covered in foam and i put my instruments in there and all of my foot pedals and my microphones and i was like okay this is the booth <laughs> that i'm going to do my work in and so walking in there i'd be like okay this is this is go time um that doesn't always work but it helped so. yeah i mean i'm sure your neighbors are happy about hearing a live album recorded for free that's awesome <laughs> yeah well i'm in my closet they can't hear it too much but i'm sure <laughs> in a different room absolutely yeah um but this album felt i think also because it had um so much kind of the tarot um, ingrained within it, it felt like very personal and a bit like a journey. So could you talk about what this album like means to you from an emotional standpoint? Yeah, definitely. Um, so this is my first album of, of solo work. Um, I've done 
plenty of recording, you know, classical musician, you know, of other people's music. Um, but this is the first album that I made that was entirely my own. And I feel like a lot of this had been leading up for a while because I'd been doing a lot of these solo shows where I would just improvise on the spot. Um, and obviously I was doing a lot more of that in person prior to 2020. Um, but this year I did a lot of that via live stream. And so I was like, okay, it's time. Like, I feel comfortable enough that I, I have a voice on this process and this instrument and I can actually do this. Um, so I think that with this album, I mean, yes, there's sort of a, a spiritual bent because of the deck and the way that, you know, we kind of use these cards to understand ourselves. But at the same time, a lot of it was just sort of the feelings of intense isolation that I'd had from the past year and also just like existential angst. <laughs> There's one track in particular where people were like, ah, these are nightmare sounds. And I was like, yes, I had lots of anger. <laughs> so, you know, uh, I'm not afraid to shy away from the not pretty um, is a, a good way for me to think about it because, yeah, the flute doesn't have to be pretty all the time. My voice doesn't have to be pretty all the time. Um, and I just kind of wanted to explore every avenue that I had um, and just make the most diverse thing I could think of, especially because my instrumentation is so limited. I don't have a full band right now. I don't have the you know, pleasure of playing with other instruments. So, you know, to be as wide as possible with as limited of a palette as I could, for sure. Yeah, and like speaking about vocals, can you um, tell us how you think about like blending vocals and instrumental sounds like on tracks like The Star, for example? Yeah, sure. Um, I'm not a vocalist by training. I just decided that if I'm going to, you know, have this one instrument that I do, I might as well add my voice to the mix. Um, however, by the time I did this album, I was pretty confident that I could do some some vocals and, and be proud of them. Um, and when it comes to mixing everything in in like the engineering aspect of the album um this was the thing that i was the most scared about because i'm not an engineer i don't have any training in the like technicality of that um i just sat down without ableton and said okay let's do this um, so with the star in particular i wanted to do a voiceover i don't know why it just came to me and i was like let's do this it seems like the thing to do um and i realized that the flute range is pretty much a vocal range it's the the sounds are both very for me at least very high and sort of in this register where things can blend really really easily and unfortunately for a voiceover that's not what you want you want to be able to hear the voice and hear what they're saying and so uh yeah i had to spend a little bit of time figuring out how to balance those levels um within you know the the program and make sure that you could still hear what i was saying um without like screaming into a microphone which is also like not the vibe so yeah it was an interesting process for me and uh i learned a lot i learned a lot <laughs> yeah that's awesome and i really loved that voiceover and you could definitely hear it um so i think you did a great job engineering that one um but I had a question also about the um, 
I guess not the the live show, but the album premiere with the visuals. Um, can you talk about the process of putting that together? Because it seemed like, I guess the main question I had about it is it seemed like very multimedia, like there was a lot of dancing. There was like some, I think animation, if I remember. Um, can you talk about why you chose to present it in that way? Sure. Um, so initially I was just thinking about an album release show, like a live show. Um, and it occurred to me that when you can't do it in person, that means that basically it's just going to be going through YouTube and the sound quality is actually going to degrade when you're doing a live stream versus what you could do with just having a, a YouTube show get premiered. And I was like, why would I do that? It's going to sound worse. <laughs> So it occurred to me, I was just like, well, how do we bring people together like a live show would without being in person? And I thought about it and I went, well, what if I just gathered like the coolest visual artists I know and had them all pick a track? So I didn't assign anybody anything, which was really exciting to me. I basically just gathered all of these collaborators and was like, okay, here's the album first pick, like pick the one that you want and grab it quick because people are going to pick them and then you won't get to pick that one. Um, and, you know, see what speaks to you and, and do that. Um, and I luckily, because of the kind of music that I do, I know a lot of dancers um, within the Seattle area. So that was sort of the, the primary amount of people that I had. And then following that, um, I also work very closely with a shadow puppet co company um, who did the opening track for the album. And so I've collaborated with them before. And so they were on board very early on. Um, and then some of them were kind of spur of the moment. I actually had one dancer reach out to me and said, I had a vision for the hermit. And it was this friend of mine. And I think she would do this incredible job. You should just talk to her. And so I reached out and was like, hey, my friend had a vision of you <laughs> doing this track of mine. Would you be interested? And she was on board immediately and she came out with this incredible work and i've never met her um which has been really amazing for me and hopefully i'll be able to do more with her in the future um so yeah people just kind of came out of the woodwork and honestly because of the nature of you know the release being online and timelines being relatively short and you know everything being within this context of not being able to do a live show i kind of expected people to just like you know make something simple and come out with you know something that was pretty low effort just to have something there and instead everybody brought their a game and came out with these incredible works and i was just sort of blown away and humbled um and exceptionally grateful because really all i did for the visual aspect was ask i i didn't really tell people what to do i just asked and they came out with all of this wonderful work so no that's awesome i feel like one thing that i <laughs> didn't like about the piano was like i feel like with instruments like the flute there's just so much opportunity to work with other people and like be in an orchestra and like be in a group which is something that's like i feel like a really cool dynamic um but unrelated, but what advice do you have for young flautists, young composers, just people or young people who want to be musicians, but don't want to be playing like a robot for a job they probably won't get and get paid 15K? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. 
Um, I would say that if you have a voice, use it and you do, you know, everyone has their own story and you should be able to tell it through your art. And if anyone tells you that you shouldn't be, those are the people that you need to prove wrong. Um, so yeah, you know, just, just go for it. And it's scary and people will be there to tell you that you are not doing what you're supposed to do. Just do it anyway, because eventually there will be enough people behind you that say that, yes, this, this is exactly what they need. Um, so yeah, find those people, find the people who support rather than the people who say that, you know, that's, that's not the way to do something. Yeah, definitely. Um, and in terms of your work going forward, are you looking to do more solo releases? Or, um, was this like a positive experience for you creating this album? I know it was a lot of stress, but. <laughs> yeah, no, it was a very positive experience. I think I'm, I definitely am interested in doing more. Um, my next album, which I can't say too much about, is actually going to be of other people's work primarily. I will be writing one track on that album. Um, but luckily, they are all people that I know and love and want to support. Um, and uh, but I, I am interested in continuing to do more solo work. And I'm I'm very interested in what it means once we are out of this sort of pandemic thing to do something live that involves this sort of level of collaboration that I brought to the the album release show. And that's that's something I'm really excited to explore. Definitely. And I'm sure we're excited to listen. And finally, is there anything that you want listeners to take away from tarot? You know, tarot is all about being read, right? Like you think that you're reading the cards, but the re the cards are reading you, right? So like, but it's all very personal and, and interpretive. And so when it comes to my album, you know, the, the cards are about what it means to you, not what it about it means to me in any way. Um, so yeah, put it on random, shuffle that deck, see what you get. I love that. I love that. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. We love the album and we're looking forward to everything you do in the future. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Two Virgins. We hope you enjoyed getting to know Liana and check out her new album. You can find this episode on our website, quarantinecontent.com, or on our weekly newsletter, The Q. See you next week.